You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to episode 32 of Storyteller Conclaves. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level, I am Sarah. I'm Rob. Hey, Rob. Hey. So, uh, last week. Yeah. We had that question from uh, Mad Elf. I think we should just spend, I don't know, 28 minutes talking about it? Uh, Between 28 and 36 minutes, I think, on average. So the Mad Elf asks. He asks. <laughs> so how do you use weather as an element of your storytelling? And uh, yeah, we're going to spend a good long show talking about <laughs> this because we have opinions uh, and some new ones actually. So uh, we are we're happy to have you listeners uh, on the chat line here with us, uh, Knox especially. I know we've got a few other listeners listening in uh, that I noted on the general chat as well. I think it was uh, Sam out there who's listening as well. <laughs> I, uh, yes, I will say. Uh, hey, Sam. All right. Um, so we are uh, – we came into this with one mind frame, I think. Yeah. And I think even today we left with more. Oh, sure, sure. So we've got a lot to unpack. There, There's a lot to unpack. Cause, because, I mean, the, the environment is just a big thing and there's yeah. so many things out there that nature tries to use to kill us on a moment-to-moment <laughs> basis that aren't bandits no so. definitely not and and i i think when i started this i started with the mind frame much like a video game because yeah, i usually sure. try to go to the visual elements and yeah. I, so i thought about like okay what are the typical mm-hmm. things that you run into and then i started looking out further at what other people had been discussing and comments and things that I've seen. And I ran across a plethora of ideas mm-hmm. that were way beyond what I was thinking. Oh, yeah. So we're going to try and break down some of these and, and like literally open windows and doors for you to look out into the world of ideas. Um, so I'm going to start with the little things, the things that you're probably not thinking of when you're running a game that has environment. And that you don't think about on a day-to-day basis but really does make a difference. Mm-hmm. NPCs are going to act differently based on the situations they're in. Sure. I mean if you literally are in a desert and the sun is beating down on you and there's a little village there that are tents or maybe adobe huts or whatever, there are going to be days when those people do not want to talk to anybody or even step outside. Well, there's, a, there's a reason the concept of siesta happened, you know, because it was like, oh, it is exactly. somewhere around high noon. We are not going outside. Exactly. We are sitting like, inside and drinking beer. Yeah, you walk into town with broken armor and walk over to that armor smith and it's 110 degrees outside and you're like, hey, dude, fix this. He's going to be like – you. Yeah, you right? Yeah, go take a hike. You well, want those bellows maybe pumping? Maybe I'll get to it tomorrow when it isn't 110 degrees. Or tonight. Yeah. Like maybe he only works at night because mm-hmm. that's the only time he can. You know, uh, if it's pouring rain, you're not going to get the lady of the manor to come visit you. Mm-hmm. She, she ain't leaving her house. That ain't that ain't happening. So, you know. Uh, there could be, a uh, you know, uh, honestly, huge, huge storms. Um, yeah. We'll just honestly put a lot of things on hold because nobody 
likes being out in a storm. You got the the high winds, the rain, lightning, right. you know, possibly other things like hail and whatnot. That's not really the ideal conditions to be launching an assault on or anything like that. And in just the ultra of that, there's nothing that doesn't say a certain god's connection to a cleric oh, right. can be elemental. Uh-huh. I mean, if you've got a god, you know, someone who's following Talos. The thunder god. Exactly. Yeah. And like literally you're, you're, you open up the scene that morning because la- maybe last night he did something great and it's time for the god to present him with some kind of a sign. And you open up with the storms at the edge of the cliff are literally crashing the waves up higher and higher as mm-hmm. jets of white shoot up. The rain pouring down as dark, ominous clouds come thundering. They're all going to be like, I'm staying in my damn tent today. I ain't going outside. I'm going to get my lightning. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, your cleric walks clean out into the rain, practically naked, waiting to be struck. Shouting know? up at the sky going, I am ready. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Witness me. You know, kind of. He's doing thing. his best Shawshank Redemption for, for impression. Yeah, but you, it gives those moments. Mm-hmm. But you don't necessarily think about that as a storytelling thing yep. that can shift and lightly adjust. Just give flavor yeah. at that slight thing. But monsters are the same way. Yeah. You know, you you go to go, you know, fight orcs on a bright, sunny day. Maybe they're not going to be there like mm-hmm. you think. They're they're really going to hate that. Uh, Tolkien trolls turn to stone in, in sunlight. Yeah. You know, I mean, things like that. Like you, you might not find them. <laughs> right. So right. Uh, dragons in thunderstorms. Not going to happen. Well, any aerial creature, honestly. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 Like uh, high winds. High winds are just going to screw with any flying creature. Yeah. yeah. And likewise, if, you know, you're you're. If they're out doing survival checks, maybe they're out. Maybe your group is out wandering around and they fail the survival check. Instead of saying you can't find anything, you can say you feel a storm coming in mm-hmm. and you recognize that maybe they're all going undercover. Yeah. So that changes the whole scene on what they can do but then gives them a a no and scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives flavor to why. You know, they're not just shitty hunters because they've been doing this most of their life. Right. Instead, there's elemental situations that change the fate. Yeah, sure. You know, it's just a slight difference and it gives you a little, I would say, better angle than just saying, no, you suck. Mm-hmm. You know? All right. So you've described your big storm. Yep. You got that, that, that the whole thing's rolled, has rolled through. Mm hmm. So what are some after effects? I mean, storms don't just go away and leave everything tidy. No. I mean, think and about your day-to-day life, how many times you've had to go out in your front yard and pick up, you know, the neighbor's tree off of the front of your, you know. Well, not only that, like rain is great for being able to do tracking really well. Mm-hmm. But a full-on storm is going to drop debris. Maybe the season you're going to end up leaves everywhere, so it's going to cover your tracks. Whole trees might come down. Blood slides. Yeah. You know, now mm-hmm. now that little river that was just lightly bothering you the last time you came through and were able to pass over is a literal torrent of mud and debris. And and that's that's a whole encounter by itself. Yeah. Like if you're if you're doing like the typical Dungeons and Dragons adventuring day, yeah. you know, that right there, that's an encounter. Mm-hmm. You don't need goblins at that point to complicate things. Just figuring out how the hell are we gonna get five adventurers fully laden with gear and our cart? Over this washed out bridge, torrential thing that we were able to just ford across a day ago. Exactly. Or worse yet, you're being chased by something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you're exactly. like, well, we'll cross the river and oh, no, we're not. Mm-hmm. No, we're not. That was a mistake. We shouldn't have done now that. Now it's either detour or we plant our feet and we fight. Yeah, or... exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, fighting on cliff sides in snowstorms or recent snowstorms. Now you've got loose snow everywhere. Your footfalls are different. You can't see the edges of things. Yep. Now athletics checks are different. Because it's challenging. 
Uh, hell, just uh, I mean, we're we're dealing with this uh, tonight in uh, in in good old Detroit today is yep. uh, what in the teens or something like yeah. that. Uh, for anybody who's going on Celsius listening to this, that's probably what down in the negative single digits. Yeah, somewhere. So. Uh, you know, not exactly the coldest, but uh, not exactly pleasant either. No, it, if you're it out adventuring you. in this, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's not going to be great. And you're going to be, you know, having to make saves against the weather or, you know, expending some resources to make sure that you stay, uh, stay, you know, comfortable. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that a lot of people, I think, lose track of as you're moving through a campaign. You're moving through environments. Mm-hmm. The same gear that you're wearing in a temperate plane exactly. is going to be radically different in a jungle where things are are sweaty and grimy, like leather straps burrowing into your skin. Can you I know? tell my Ravana story? Oh, by all means. Okay, so uh, I joined uh, Rob's campaign a little bit late. Um, a lot of the plot had kind of already happened, and the uh, yeah. we were kind of on a, you know chapter two of the plot where the the already established adventurers were going to go do something with the magical artifacts that they that they already had. Um, one of the things that they needed to do was go through the mountains, and so I introduced my character as a uh, straight up wizard, and uh, focused a lot largely on ice magic, and uh, she was a uh, basically a mountain guide. Yeah, um, who had made it her life's goal to master the winter and the cold. Um, her father had died of exposure. He was a caravan driver, and she basically decided that she was not going to go out the same way that he was. So harnessing magic to make sure that the winter was never going to be her foe. Uh, so they hire her, knowing that she knows these mountain passes they need to go through. And she uh, they're, they're in like kind of the capital city, the elves. And she says, all right, um, if I'm going to join your party, I'm going to take you through. I want to make sure that you have some basic, you know, equipment and stuff like that. So everybody go put on your what you believe is your winter gear. And she phrased it like that. What you think is your winter gear. Right. And uh, meet me in the courtyard in 15 minutes. So everybody did. And these we're talking like seasoned adventurers, the heroes of the realm here, right? All gather up in the courtyard and she goes, okay, so everybody bundled up. Yep. Good. And cast Sleet Storm on them. <laughs> Which last, you know, she shut it off after yep. about 20 seconds or so, uh, dismissed it, and basically the entire party was standing there going, what the hell was that? She's all right, anybody who's shivering right now, anybody who thought that was hell, needs to understand that that's the weather about every other day yep. where we're going. Yep. So, if you're cold, you need better gear. <laughs> yeah. Me- meanwhile, the orc in the party is just like, that was fantastic. No, that was awesome. I, I missed that. <laughs> So uh yeah it's it it adds that element of uh-huh. of true fear into those players. I uh I was reading one of the ones uh, one of the stories where players were uh teleporting mm-hmm. from one place to another they had a portal to portal situation and uh the DM's like okay so you're you're going to uh Falstead, right? Yeah. The, the winter keep. Uh-huh. You're you're teleporting to winter keep. Yeah. Looks down at all their character notes. O- okay. They literally – the first person you know, clears the teleport gate and basically is on the other side. I'm like – and he just started making them do saves instantaneously mm-hmm. because they were all still wearing basic adventuring gear and they just showed up on one of the highest peaks. Yeah. And of course the teleport pad isn't inside. It's on the edge of this cliff with you know brazers around it. It's like a holy relic of a spot that cannot right. be damaged because right. of where it's at. It's high, so it can't be taken. Just one of those places up on a mountain where it's just casual blizzard most of the yeah, time. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's protected well enough, but 
still, it's the top of an effing mountain. Uh It's cold as hell. And so (laughs) literally they were dying from exposure the moment they stepped through the teleporter. Yeah, well, you you guys told me you wanted to go there. Yep, yep. Um, And this doesn't – we don't want to limit this to just say, you know, D&D and that kind of thing. This applies to every system. Like Shadowrun has some set rules to it. 7C even has some rules for Mm -hmm. it. But that doesn't – it doesn't tell you how the NPCs can react. So always kind of keep the effects and the times in your head. But there's also some extra layers that sit just beyond that that you could start throwing into how things change. So for instance, uh, when PCs are walking into situations that do have changes, it's more than just uncomfortable for everyone. Some mm-hmm. of those players might be fine with it and you can set those things on your side and know how those players are going to – like Ravana was really good with the cold. Yeah. Uh, Rhaegar in our current game is is a master of the north. He's a Norseman. Mm-hmm. So he's fine with the cold. But the moment that we stepped into the sweaty, hot days of summer, he's melting. He's miserable almost 24-7. You guys go into this recent dungeon and it's like 50 degrees because it's like under a gigantic hill. Exactly. And he's like – Oh, finally. Yeah, we're all like – And all the rest of you were like, ugh, it sucks in here. He was perfectly fine with it. (laughs) Um, But it steps through as you move through. So for instance, if it is a season that you're working in and you know what that season is, of course you could do some random and there are some some good tools we'll talk about a little later Mm -hmm. that really help with that. Uh, But – Say your adventurers are moving up a mountain pass and it's it's gentle, gentle winter down in the plains, you know, maybe a little dusting of snow, uh, you know, kids are playing and having a good time because the weather's not so bad. But the moment they start moving up that pass to get into the mountains, just like it is out west, which we don't see here in Michigan, but some of our players in different parts of the world may recognize this, passes get treacherous really quick. And that weather can change on a mountain in an instance because oh, yeah. the storm hits the mountain and basically dumps everything. Uh-huh. They don't – it doesn't make it over. It doesn't just change you know, simply. This actually happens and you can end up with a ton of snow up higher in the altitudes that you didn't see down on the ground. Yeah, and that's, that's why the whole like mountain pass thing comes yeah. in, you know. It's, you know, it's because because when you're moving between two mountains, there that's that's where all of it's going to be. And also, you once you get above a certain point, it can get pretty dry, cold, mm-hmm. but dry, not so bad. When you come down and it's still that cold, that area below can get quite icy mm-hmm. and nasty. So you cut through that cloud layer, you're walking through those clouds, those moisture filled clouds, and it can change. You have fog. That's literally ice level fog as you're trying to go through it. Yep. You've got sleet coming down or ice. You've got black ice situations if they're moving at night that makes it even more treacherous. I mean, these are the kinds of things that, yeah, bridge maybe, yeah, I always say bridge maybe icky. Um, <laughs> every time I ever seen it on a bridge, it came from a friend of mine and, and it always sticks in my head, bridge maybe icky. So, uh, so yeah, exactly. It's you, you, you have to keep that in mind that as your adventurers are moving through those climates, and changing terrain or changing through uh, elevations, it's going to change with them mm-hmm. and they may not be quite prepared for those changes. Now, keep keep in mind too, these sort of things are uh, kind of an aspect of gritty realism. Yeah, you know, I agree. Uh, I mean, there there are times when you can, you know, you can plan, like I said, as, as your encounter, like there will be a storm, mm-hmm. and that will be your obstacle, mm-hmm. rather than throwing another batch of monsters at you. Yep. And that's and that's cool. That's that's a good adventuring, like very chill, sort of low fantasy thing to do. But like, 
just just be aware that you know there there are all these great things you can do with with the environment to kill your players. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe you know if you're not playing that gritty realism game, don't make them die of exposure every time they walk out the door. <laughs> you know, so it's there. These are all great ideas, but use them in moderation. Is all exactly I'm exactly. So, um, a few things that then you just kind of think of as general atmosphere. Yeah. Whenever you're writing up your descriptions for an area, let's mm-hmm. say you know your players are going into a town. Think about the weather. Where are they? What's the general climate? Right. If they right. know what the season is, you know, maybe the sun is in a certain spot. Like, you know, up in Alaska, it's sunny all the time in the summer and really not so much the way it's dusk at all times. Mm-hmm. You know, so keep that kind of frame in your head a little bit because it can add a lot of flavor as they move to different areas. They can feel a lot of relief. Um, one of the big things about 7C when you take people actually out on the sea is the sea is exceptionally unforgiving and it can be horrific until you finally get to some ports and feel that safety of being off the sea and away from the wind and away from that – those elements, be them too hot or too cold or too windy, mm-hmm. you know. And really give them a sense of comfort. So that kind of brings that shelter moment back to the story where your players can feel that level of comfort and can come back to just their part of the story, the player's part of the story, and know that they're safe and within something. And that adds that sense of – takes that point of tension away from them Mm -hmm. uh, by moving through those things. Um, Like you had uh, put in here about uh, I want to say the the, – Bone dry kind of elements of Badlands. Oh yeah, I think is a is something that's often forgot. That when you go there, if you're not prepared water wise, it can be very harsh. It, it, as harsh as walking in a hot desert. Oh yeah, you know, because yeah, there's just nothing there. There's no moisture that makes it in. Mm-hmm. And now the interesting thing too that happens in Badlands like that, where you have no moisture, is if you do end up getting a storm that rolls through, mm-hmm. like the ground does not have enough time to absorb it because it's yeah. this hard mud, you know, cake. Like it needs to soak in a lot of water, and if it dumps in very fast, you end up with flash flooding. Yes. And so you'll what you'll end up with is like what looks like a dry riverbed. Hey, that's a great you know road to travel on. Like, oh, yeah. Let's just go down the dry riverbed, and then all of a sudden you hear a crack, a thunder, and a whoosh, and that's all the time you have before you get hit with a wall of water. Yeah, you know it's a true ambush. Mm-hmm. You know if they fail their perception checks, you've been ambushed by water. Yep, and and just have to deal with that. And now now they're dealing with a full on encounter that has initiative. But there's there's no monster. It's just the monster of water. Yep, and things getting swept down at yep. them, and they've got to find high ground, and it yep. could, could be an could be an exciting scene. You yeah, know? I mean, again, your your failed athletics rolls to try and swim aren't necessarily a failure on their part. It could be a log that hits them. Sure, it could be you know rocks that are catching their feet, or 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 you know, or I should say, uh, roots that they as they get drugged by them, catching their feet and dragging them under briefly, or or the the rapid erosion. Of the uh, uh, of what is now the shore, yeah. Um, you know, as they're scrambling up for, for for cover, trying to get out of the water, and it's just getting eaten away by this torrential uh, torrential flood. Exactly. Um, so there's, there's there's things like that, but there's, I mean, I know we we talk a lot about the weather because um, the weather is a big thing. It's capricious. It enacts a lot of changes and stuff like that. But I think there's a lot of like environmental, like just static, like the land itself. Mm-hmm. Can can do some really interesting things, like we mentioned, Badlands, you mm-hmm. know, and, and the fact that there was like an absence of water um, there. But uh, 
you know, I'm thinking also things like swamps. Mm-hmm. You know, swamps just like they're just nothing but mud yeah. and water, you know, the whole time. And, you know, for, forget things like alligators and, you know, whatever else might be lurking in swamp. This We're not talking about monsters, right. you know. But like just the idea that you need to traverse a big wetlands like that. You right. either need a special craft to get over it. Or if you're slogging through it on foot, we're talking like, you know, in D&D terms, difficult terrain the whole way. Yeah. Literally everything is difficult terrain, you yeah. know. Levels of exhaustion just to move oh, yeah. through, you know, small amounts of land. Uh, there's a uh, – there was a a game that involved uh, – uh, I want to say it was like Twilight 2000 that talked about a setting where you had um, working through jungles like in Vietnam, you would get – problems with your feet and so they kind of developed an exhaustion twi- uh, element within oh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. and that totally adds on to that kind of thing um, and I, I totally agree. Another thing that Knox brought up that I that we're kind of missing on this is just the simplicity of light, the moon. Mm-hmm. You know, is it a full moon? Is that a concern? Yep. Is it less of a concern? Is no moon any – you know, if you're really going to be tracking, you could be like, OK, roll your survival check. Oh, there's no moon tonight. You have no light to track by. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. It's it's nothing horrible. It's just today's a crappy night to try and do anything. Yep. Yep. You know? Oh, yeah. The blood red moons, of course. So, yeah. I mean those kinds of elements give your players more setting but also create effects around them mm-hmm. uh, and give you some different ways to kind of say no and during your story. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you you didn't succeed but here's what, what you're – here's why. Right, right. You know? So that kind of brings us to major things that can happen that I think we can lose track of. Um, For instance, what happens if you're trying to track something in a snowstorm? Mm -hmm. Now you've got penalties and different systems handle it different ways. And fifth edition, like you were saying uh, to me, was that they try to simplify everything and make it very quick thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you want to expand on it a little uh, bit. Just, just uh, kind of the, the, the fifth edition, especially in contrast to um, like third and three point five edition. Um, again, I'm not really speaking on fourth because I never played it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, in previous editions and then Pathfinder, especially because yeah. Pathfinder was basically three point seven five. Um, you're talking about going kind of from a number crunchy system to kind of a more fast and loose system, right? Uh, and when I say fast and loose, I just basically mean that like the rules are there. Definitely, but they're kind of intended to just be used broadly and applied however you think they should be applied rather advantage. than having – You're talking advantage, disadvantage. Advantage, disadvantage, um, what skills actually cover. Right. Uh, you know, things like that. Like, um, you know, there, there's no real rules for a lot of things and they're just kind of covered under, well, that would probably be an acrobatics check, question mark. Um, and sure. That's that's what the rules are meant to be. They're 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 light, and they're just meant to basically say, roll a die, adjudicate the the the, the outcome of it, and move the hell on. You know, right. Um, and so I I think you know for for a lot of like fifth edition stuff, um, you know, if, if we're focusing on that, uh, you know, you're looking at it at disadvantage on a lot of things, you right? Know, for survival checks and whatnot, but um, yeah. So, but I mean, and it doesn't just go against the players. So, for instance, like they're slogging through the mud, they might be at you know disadvantage uh, mm-hmm. for making a, any athletics based chess. They might be slowed, 
you know, they might be at half speed because it's difficult terrain. Yep. You know, but that also says that there are going to be creatures that are going to use that to their advantage. They may wait oh, absolutely. to trap you in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's when you can have ramped up encounters with very simplistic things. You know, now that you're trying to make your way through the desert and you're on open terrain and you're exhausted because it's been two days, those buzzards that you thought were, you know, real small are actually quite ready to come and get you. They were harmless three days ago when you didn't have three points of exhaustion. Right. And you're at disadvantage to everything and at half HP. Right. Yep. Yeah. Now you're now you're easy pickings. Uh Uh-huh. And they like live. Uh-huh. You know, when that, you're when you're slogging through that swamp and everything is difficult terrain for you, right. it's not difficult terrain for the dire crocodile, you know, cro- crocodile. Exactly, exactly. You know, or you're working through uh, uh loose terrain mm-hmm. and you've got something that burrows. Oh yeah, you know, oh, that yeah. kind of thing and so everything for you is considered challenging, mm-hmm. you know, and you're at half speed and disadvantaged, it's just popping up out of the ground right next to you. Yep. Without a problem. Uh you're uh, you're bogged down in uh, winter gear and trying to slog through a blizzard and you're snow blind and you can't fire arrows because of the galling winds. Right. And then the winter wolves come out. Yep, because they don't care. Mm-mm. And they're they have advantage on the, any stealth. Mhm. So, yeah, and then Changes in rooftop in, in things like rooftops that you know normally you know, players could you know dance through a city rooftop to rooftop. Now they might be covered in ice and snow. Certain angles are super treacherous. Mm-hmm. Uh, buildings that would normally be you know relatively okay shelters are now collapsing based on snow weights and other things like that. So now you've got these caves that suddenly become the outer edges of them become dangerous mm-hmm. because they're. There's literally snow everywhere or ice or mud. You know, hey, your players go into the cave for coverage, but they don't realize it's filling with water. Mm-hmm. You know, high seas are coming into the cave that your group's digging the treasure out of. So now instead of just a couple inches of water and high for high tide, they're in feet of water. Yep. You know, and now it's getting dire because the mouth of the cave was only so open. Mm-hmm. So – yeah, those kind of things can really change the environment. Um, the uh, the other things that I was thinking about is you've got a dry area. You end up casting a spell. You could, you know, a fire spell. You could start a, f- a, a flash oh, fire. Oh yeah, across you a were field. telling me a story about that at dinner. Yeah. Uh, so there were players who were uh, at a town, and the last little encounter they had, one of the players I think cast burning hands or something, and ended up catching the wheat field and the fields on fire. And he immediately had them start uh, going into basically a, a toxic set where they were having to roll constitution just to talk because of all the smoke. Mm-hmm. Well, by the end of it, you know, players are covering up their faces to help compensate for that. Uh, but Using sign language yeah. so they wouldn't have to speak and yep. inhale. Ushering people and, mm-hmm. and using inference. Casting spells became very complicated mm-hmm. for them because verbal components. Yep. You, have to, you have to speak a long full sentence. Yeah, yeah. And it made it very challenging. The mm-hmm. only way they ended up getting out of that one and fighting some very simple people who were – who some bandits who came in that they thought they could just mop up with a few spells suddenly became super challenging because every spell they had to make a constitution save yep. to try and breathe and they would lose the spell because half the way through the spell, they'd end up coughing or something. Mm-hmm. So it was it was more challenging because of the environment that was wrapped around them and they had the risk of fire yeah. constantly. So – um. 
So you can also use uh, uh, I think we, we've, we've also got down here um, you know just not even not even making it like a dangerous encounter of like you know okay so someone someone might die here right. you know doing damage or complicating an already uh, you know uh, a combat encounter like you know like fighting crocs in the swamp or winter wolves during a blizzard or something like that. Um, but honestly, also just to kind of enact world changes. Yeah. Just broad strokes. Like, you know, we, we talked about mountain passes snowing over. Well, okay, maybe the, maybe the, you know, the, the, the party doesn't get caught in that snowfall and it's not a big dramatic encounter there. But what if the mountain pass is just snowed over? Well, I want to get from point A to point B and I can't teleport. So now what? Yeah. It's just it's just a story complication, you know, mm-hmm. but it, it changes the overall world and it makes the world a living, breathing place. You know, that fire that took out all those crops that is eventually going to lead to less crops and possibly famine conditions yeah. in the and, area. And now you've got bandits going after what food they can get right? or even other creatures. I mean, this those are the kind of moments where you're like, you know, I, I would say from Lord of the Rings, we're like, why are the trolls coming out of the mountains? Mm-hmm. They never come into the lowlands. Why are they here now? Yeah. They're getting pushed out of their environment. Why? You know, now your players have a reason for why something's there. Yeah. You know, if you're making up an encounter – Think about those types of things because there could be shifts that are occurring. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. if you're if suddenly a town if an area is getting better defended, it's going to push those rogue elements, those those parts that make things that go for the weaker, lesser areas someplace else. Mm-hmm. That someplace else is somewhere. Yeah, sometimes it's a murdered villager haunting their cave. Yeah, <laughs> some sometimes, sometimes it's just sometimes it's just simple famine. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those kinds of things make sense. You know. Um, and we we often forget about it yep. when we're doing our stories, but they can do a lot. Um, one of the tools that I wanted to put out there um, that can help with this is if you haven't been to uh, Dungeon Tools, D-O-N-J-O-N uh, dot bin dot S-H, um, he's – or they have a ton of tool sets and one of those is a random weather generator. Now, I'm not saying you need this for every game, but mm-hmm. it can definitely give you a flavor if you're not sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. if you just need something to help you, like your 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 players are waking up in a town and you're like, crap, I, I didn't even think about this. You could bring it up real quick. Say, hey, I'm in, you know, I'm in a coastal area and it's uh, spring, and you hit the button and it literally gives you what the current weather is. Yep, like like you're looking at their, you know, area code, you know, and it's it just makes it that much easier for you to not think about it, but mm-hmm. also to add those elements. Yeah. And you know, if you don't want, if you're if you're not keen on using a, a random generator too, it's it's uh you know pretty just simple, just to kind of you know quick internet searches can help you yeah. find you know what what sort of you know areas, what sort of climates get what sort of you know uh, uh, precipitation on on yeah. average and whatnot. Because most of us have an idea of somewhere on the globe that we think the players are the type of environment. You mm-hmm. know, if your players are slogging through a Germany like place, pull up Berlin, see what the weather is there today. Yep. You know, yep. see what the winds like, what the rains are like. It might give you a different feel for where your players can be. You guys are tooling around in the uh, the the Colovian Highlands, so you know, looking up what uh, what Ireland is doing is you know, yeah, is, gives you that extra flavor. Yep. So and so that just makes it a little bit easier versus using tool sets or anything like that. But mm-hmm. I mean, you never know. Yeah. And all those little elements give players more vision in their mind's eye mm-hmm. and a strong feel. For where they are. Yep. And that's what we're really trying to do here is we're trying to give as many of those little pieces to finally get a story that feels visceral and 
in in contact with the players. Not necessarily deadly or gritty. That's maybe necessary if it's your style, but just in contact with your players, getting your vision into their heads. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, fun little fun little tip that I like to use too. Um, by the way, if you do have a thunderstorm going on in the background, there are um, and you have access to something like an Alexa or a Google Home, mm-hmm. um, you can quite simply just issue the command. You know, play the sound of a thunderstorm. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of ambient soundtracks that like. Uh, to help you fall asleep generally or just as background noise from white noise to chirping birds to gentle rain to the lapping of waves on the coast and stuff like that. Right, right. Um, if you've got an environment that you want strongly prominent, it's nice to actually just throw that on the background. It helps it the mind's eye kind of focus. Yeah. And for your players that have a hard time because maybe they've ever been to that environment, mm-hmm. it gives them a little bit – extra involved in it yep. like you know when people say you know well it's, it's it's raining outside like as hard as it is in a rainforest and you put on some rainforest sounds it's loud yeah you know because it's, it's hitting every leaf on the way down yeah and, and sometimes you know. there's going to be parts where the leaves are literally dripping down a whole stream mm-hmm. you know and that it makes noise yep so all right you want to get on to some questions because yeah, we got some really great questions we do have some really great questions and I kind of want to let's see if we can shift some of the environmental ones up okay and then we'll we'll hit the, the other ones because I want to I want to kind of keep in the mode um, all right I trust you go ahead and grab all one. right so Knox asks uh, is there ever a time where you leave the environment conditions and weather up to the players via something like a percentile role or other mechanic? Now, I know this got discussed in channel because I immediately sent Knox uh, to Mad Elf. Right. Uh, he, who runs our mouse guard game. He runs our mouse guard game. And uh-huh. there's literally a mechanic in mouse guard where the players can affect the weather. Right. They get to dictate that weather. When you are a mouse, a minor down, a minor you know, afternoon sprinkle of rain can create torrential rivers for yes. you. Yes. Yes. You know, and it's, because it, an inch deep is a big deal to a mouse. It is. And mouse guard is a system. Mm-hmm. Sometimes needs challenges. Yeah, you you need to have challenges to have growth, mm-hmm. and so sometimes you want it to be a little more challenging. Yeah, uh, and that's that's just a way that you can do that. Um, I know there's a few other systems that do similar things that were uh, there's some superhero ones uh, that allow the players to have some dictate on uh, the setting of the scene. Urban Shadows does scene sets, mm-hmm. so you can literally say your town is in a crappy, you know, kind of London esque environment where it's always raining. Yeah. All the time, yeah. you know, and it's it's sloggy. So yeah, there's definitely um, some mechanics there. Um, I think there are some palladium rules, if I remember correctly, uh, in in the random roll charts that they have there, where players can set their uh, or can make rolls to see what the weather and conditions are like on a certain journey. Right. Um, I, I think it kind kind of the same way that it works in Mouse Guard, where you're you're predicting the weather. Right. And so if you roll high enough on your you know weather prognostication, right. your weather watcher skill as it's called in Mouse Guard, right. um, you get to then basically say, OK, well, I predict the weather will be rainy tomorrow. And then that becomes something in the story because you're right when you yep. say it. Yep. Um, that's about the closest I can think of to allowing the players to dictate the weather. Yeah. Typically um, – I mean, unless I were running something like Mouse Guard, like in, in my D and D game, I would right. I wouldn't do that simply because I like having control of it as a story element. Mm-hmm. Um, so unless there's some like I had a druid casting, you know, control weather or something, I don't think it would happen. But there there are there are times that the that the system calls for it, and it's really fun when it does. Yeah. 
All right, let's shift down to Overwatch because he's got another one okay. before we go to Knox because that's going to be fun. Oh, the other Knox question because that opened both of us up for that. Yeah, both of us, both of us, you know, fanned a little bit at it. All so. right, go ahead for the Overwatch one. All right, so Overwatch asks uh, storms as a factor of the game. Random tables for inclement weather. These are time honored tabletop systems from the early days. Can you think of an aspect that has been missing, an environmental slash setting aspect of games that is underutilized in storytelling or uh, historically has never had a mechanic? Is there any place where you've seen something like that implemented? The two things that came to my mind when I read this. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one was fog. Okay. That fog is rarely used in games. Yeah. Um, more than just obscuring. Mm-hmm. Um and and causing problems. Seventh C had some sea based fog that was serious. Like mm-hmm. it, fog in, on sea is deadly, especially in combat because you don't see the rocks until you're already there or moving up on a ship. Yeah. Um. And there are some ships, uh, some some things that a player can do to make fog happen. Mm-hmm. Um. But it it's something that doesn't get often used and is usually lost off charts. So and fog can happen in cold and hot. In, in all kinds of environments. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's I think it's a element that gets lost, an environmental lo- like hazard that gets lost um, in a lot of things. Thank you for reminding me of that because I've really been trying to work on my 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 weather stuff, and that's that's a great point. Like I'm just thinking back, like when the last time I've even thought about fog as a weather yeah. condition. Yeah, I really can't. And the second one that always gets me that I, I've only seen really described well once is moon phase, like the moon phases, mm-hmm. um, where. It's kind of forgotten that your players are not always keeping a torch just above their head or a lantern just out in front of them. Mm-hmm. They're using ambient light and sometimes you have to move through the dark and it means a lot when there's no moon. Yeah. You know, something like if you're stalking somebody in the dark and it is a dark night, yeah, their hooded lantern or their light may only cast a very small area. Yeah. You know, maybe five, six feet around them, and that's mm-hmm. it. Anything off in the distance is just going to be a little shimmer of light to them at best. And keeping in mind, too, that like ambient conditions uh, will change the light levels a lot, too. Like in winter, when everything is coated in snow, it's a lot easier to see at night than the, the exact same conditions in, in like the spring or summertime. Right. So. And I will say this. Knox does have one interesting point here and that is uh, uh, environmental hazards that are results of things. For instance, scurvy. If you if you don't have the fruit on ships in 7C, that's actually a legitimate thing that can happen. That is a legitimate thing. And so I, I do agree. That is that is it's not lost. I recognize that uh-huh. that was out there. But yeah. Uh, do you – anything come to mind for you? Uh, I, I think for me um – I, I don't think I had an answer to this until the other night. Uh, we were playing Ark, uh, Ark Survival okay. uh, together, and uh, there was I, I saw a yellow cave, and I was like, "Oh, what's in there?" And like, every with like three people simultaneously were like, "Don't go into the yellow cave," because it's apparently a radiation zone. Yeah, and it got me thinking. Like, I don't know the last time in a tabletop game, or if ever we've ever had just a just a static environmental being in this place will kill you, sort of bug city. Bug City, yeah. Bug City was the only was the first place that came to mind. I don't I don't remember Bug City. Was this part of your game that before I before I joined it? Shadowrun has Bug City. Chicago. Oh, Chicago, yeah. Yep. 
I yeah. never I never had occasion to play in that setting, so yeah. it, radiation it, zones, spores, yeah. bugs. Yeah. So it was the first thing that came to my mind when mm-hmm. you're t- when is that you you look at moments like that and you're like, "Oh, that's a nasty area." Yeah, exactly. And it it, it really was. It, it 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 had all of those kinds of elements to it and mm-hmm. they were live and living in that city, but it really doesn't happen in many other places. Yeah. You don't see it in other games, especially D&D. Mm-hmm. Like idea of spore clouds. You know, coming yeah. off of uh, of terrain, right? Drifting, right. you know, you know, because it's spring, so all the spores came out. Well, that's wh- where do you think those toxins come from? Now, you I know? did, I did have um, in my my own uh, homebrew setting that I that I, I had cooked up uh, back in my high school and, and college days. Um, there was a a large region that I called the Torpor Forest because mm-hmm. um, I was unoriginal. And I thought torpor was a cool word. It is um, a cool but, word. But guess what happens when you go in there? Uh, now, mind you, it's only humans. Okay? Right. It's a biological thing. Dwarves right. and elves, completely unaffected. But yep. what it is is that the um, – there are – it's it's a uh, uh, a tropical sort of region. So there's never a winter where the trees are not going to be in full bloom. Right. And it's a prevalent plant there called the buttersweet tree that uh, the pollen has a narcotic effect on on human biology. Um, and so okay. not only uh, does it cause humans who go in there almost instantly to just fall asleep. Um, and of course, once they're asleep, unless they've got someone to drag them out, they're just there now uh, and they will sleep themselves to death because, I mean, you know. Stop eating and stop drinking. Right. Um, but – what other people will do, especially the elves, will um, collect buttersweet pollen mm-hmm. and use them as basically blowguns. That's fantastic. And they they pack little little uh, uh, you know cloud blowguns basically just right right in right in your face and you're out. Yep. Mm-hmm. Simple. All right. The one thing that I will agree on, I read Overwatch is I thought about Knox's next question. Okay. And I, this one got me without a doubt and made me really think, and that is. If we treat large crowds as environmental hazards in combat, what are some better ways of utilizing them? Individual roles is probably out of the question, so it's better to have them as a swarm character in smaller groups or as one large group like a layer environment action. The moment that he brought up crowds, I was like, oh my god, that is an environmental thing we, that we, we don't We literally think of. like typed to each other in all caps like, did you see Knox's question? Yeah. Yes, I did. So we, I love it. We didn't I want to bring it, it up because it was it's a huge thing to unpack, but it is brilliant. Honestly, I I went looking for rules for it and there are some out there in certain systems. Uh-huh. There are crowd-based rules for riots and for uh, crowd control and things like that. But mostly it's 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 having fights in crowds, mm-hmm. dealing with that. Uh, in the case of 7th C, um, it is an environmental hazard. There's consequences for yep. moving through crowds and what happens in crowds. Um, there are some uh, elements of dealing with that with firearms. You pull out a weapon in a crowd, you get a response and that uh-huh. changes the terrain. That changes how you can and can't move through it. Yeah. So and I think that's that's probably the thing that came to mind for me too was like it really depends on the mood of the crowd. Um, and the, 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 the big factor for me was whether or not um, the crowd is willing to die or suffer harm to right. remain where it is. Right. Um, and so if you're just talking like you know bystanders on the street in like a busy market square in a village or something like that and all of a sudden you pull out you know your swords and start swinging, that crowd is going to disperse very quickly. So you may only have that environmental hazard for one or two turns. Um but if it's say maybe a throng of fanatics who are gathered around their cult leader, right? 
well, maybe they are there to die for him, and right. you know that's gonna that's gonna cause all sorts of different complications. It's part of that honor, uh, reputation, loyalty kind of thing yeah. as well. Yeah, um, the whole like environmental hazard of Han Solo turning a corner and finding an entire room full of stormtroopers. <laughs> eh, probably not a good idea, you know. Is that, is, that an, is that an environmental hazard or is that an overpowered encounter? That's a. I think it was a little bit of both. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's it is a matter of environment because you're not. I mean, if you're literally uh, swinging or moving through the rafters of a building mm-hmm. with an entire cult beneath you, you're not going to roll initiative for the entire cult. No, no, no. But no, you're going to no, have not. consequences of them moving across that room, and if they fail, how much you know what they're going to have to deal with to try and make it to the other side. Because sure. they're not going to combat an entire room full of cultists sure. who are shooting arrows or firing spells or whatever. You know, firing white rifles up at them. You're, but you're going to deal with that as an entire hazard. Yeah. Situation. Yeah. So. So I. I think actually, I mean, from the things that you kind of prompted in your question uh, as far as dealing with it as maybe like a swarm swarm character or uh, a large group like a lair or an environment action, I think if we are talking about a large crowd of people, I would definitely go with it as some sort of a lair action. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great, especially if we are talking like cultists who do want to remain there and not disperse at the first sign of danger. Um, Well, let me put it this way and maybe this will help. Mm -hmm. I would say are they an antagonist? Or are they environment? Is yeah. it is it a crowd that you're moving through? So you're a spy. You're mm-hmm. trying to catch up with another spy who's getting away from you, and you're moving through a part like a a masquerade, uh, you know, event. You mm-hmm. know, maybe you're maybe you're in uh, you know, New Orleans during Mardi Gras, mm-hmm. and you're trying to catch up with this guy, and everybody has masks and outfits and stuff, and he's weaving in and out. I think that isn't an, an it, it's not an antagonist. That's an environment. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. that I would handle as an environmental hazard. Where on the other hand is if I come into a scene where I'm masked like all the other cultists and I'm trying to get up to assassinate somebody and the guy catches my eye and points at me, now I have a room full of antagonists. Yep. I think that is a swarm. I mm-hmm. think that's that that's where they become the antagonistic force and I'm not going to roll – Initiate. I, I may use them as one entity. Yeah, yeah. You know, in, one in seven, challenge. Seven C. You might you might call that one or two brute squads. Yeah, definitely. Or maybe maybe three or four, depending on how. Yeah, there's you know. there's some riot rules for that. Uh-huh. If you do something like that, where you've got you know once you've got a certain num- once you pass a certain number, you're in riot squad size, and that's when things really change. I think for something like Dungeons and Dragons, um, I would definitely go with like a uh, if we're talking about an environmental hazard. Uh, we're looking at you know uh, difficult terrain mm-hmm. across the board, so yep. all movement is halved through that area unless you've got something that defies difficult right. terrain. Um, and I would say anybody outside, especially if it's like a dense crowd, like mm-hmm. a crowded market square, right. um, I would say anybody outside of five feet of you has three quarters cover. Yep. And anybody beyond twenty feet has full cover. Looking in, looking the, in. The yeah. person in that space has that. Yes, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, now, if you want to do it, something like uh, like we were talking about the the swarm of uh, of, of angry cultists, um, I might actually do that as layer action. Um, you know, you're, you've got the 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 environmental thing of you know moving through them and stuff like that is, di- is right. difficult terrain, but obviously putting like forty cultists on the board and rolling initiative for every one of them is you know. Chaos. Chaos. So, do, do the Brute Squad method of 7C. If you ever need questions about that, look it up. Or, or consequently, mm-hmm. or uh, uh, incidentally, do, do the uh, do a layer action. Yep. I, I don't know if you've had experience with layer actions. In, Not really, in but D&D. yeah. Um, so what they do is they, they go on initiative 20, mm-hmm. 
and uh, typically you'll have a list of effects mm-hmm. um, that they can do. So essentially give give the cultists a couple different layer effects that they can do like you know, attacking anyone within range of a certain you know cluster of them or something like that or maybe uh, the whole group of them calls down some magical effect that does this and you cycle through them. And so they're they're not really you know you might be able to kill them off you might be able to affect them with something like a fireball spell or something like that but um, you know as a layer action you know you just kind of throw them in an initiative twenty they do something that blanket inconveniences everybody on the field and you move on. Gotcha. I I, I like that. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's similar to the brute tactics. Yeah. In the way that it works, um, the way that Seven C does it is it is a grouping of individuals. And their combined attack is just a straight number. Yep. So if they make their contact, they do that damage. If the player does a single dramatic hit on them, it reduces their, their value and now that damage value goes down. But they are still there. They're still a concise thing. Right. right. Um, so it's it's definitely unit tactics. I think it, it kind of falls similarly to um, Warhammer in mm-hmm. that design. Yeah. Um, you know, and routing is a thing mm-hmm. in it too. So, uh, but often it's not used unless there's you know s- severe reason for it. Right. Right. Um, yeah, brutes are brutes. They're there to be expended. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Exactly. All right, we got one more question. All right, we have a new question from Samantha K. Yeah. Uh, so Samantha K asks us. Uh, first off, welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome. Uh, if you are writing a campaign and crafting stories, how do you make sure the prices for items are fair for the variety of cities and the level of the PCs? That's a great question. It's honestly, a great question, yeah. it's it's something simple. It's something you don't think about. Um, and economy is always one of those things that like just runs me up a damn wall. Because on one hand, I want to give you guys treasure and make you feel rewarded, but on the other hand, I don't want you to be able to buy your way out of every problem. Exactly. But I think. In the in the right sense, it needs to be that way. Yeah, you know, if you've got a noble who's rich and has, you know, may, maybe they've gone adventuring and they've got, come back to the same dirt water village after going into a keep and getting tons of gold because it was the the old lord of the land and they finally wiped it out. When they come in there, they're gonna be treated like kings, mm-hmm. you know. But also, people are gonna try and get a little money out of them. Yep, they're gonna look for that because they now know it. So I would say keep their reputation in mind as well as the quality of the area. So if it's a low area, um, you know, economy-wise, maybe the prices are just what they are in the book. Mm-hmm. But if they note, if those people, maybe just when they first come in, make a roll for yourself. If you roll high, they're expecting some high prices. If you roll low, maybe they're all looking for money. Mm-hmm. And they they just they they'll just take what they can get because maybe the last time it didn't work out for them. Yeah. And keep it that simple so that you're not worrying yourself too much. But just write that at the top for the the town. Let remind yourself that oh, this town is a low economy town. They're going to be hungry for money, mm-hmm. so they're going to run it at bottom level prices. They they might not have a lot though because yeah. of that. Their their stocks are low. Their their lists are simple. Anything they can find is going to be even less than normal. Well, that's uh, one of the other things you have to keep in mind too is the amount of money that would be in an economy. You yeah. know, if you walk into a small fishing village and you try to offload a holy avenger, they're not going to have the 50 to 100,000 gold Mm-mm. on hand to just buy a, 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 a holy avenger off you. They're right. going to be like, uh, I don't know, you want a fishing boat? Right. Do you want to be our new mayor? Yeah. I've got seven cows. Yeah. Or, or they might just straight up look at you and go, 
what the hell am I going to do with the Holy Avenger? Like, right. That Holy Avenger is great. It's a beautiful sword. It's, a, it's an amazing artifact that I'm awed to be in the presence of. But uh, my family is on the verge of starvation. Do you have do bread? You, do you have fish? Right. And yeah. the other thing is, is that uh, by doing that high-low thing, and this mm-hmm. is, I'm stealing this from somebody, but I can't remember if it was a Reddit thread or not, and I feel terrible about that, um, is that you can basically say anything over a certain dollar value, they just don't even have. Yeah, yeah. You know, but if you're willing to sell them something that's just above that, so you know, maybe they they come into you come into a shop and. You know, they only have basic, you know, basic food, some rations, maybe rope, maybe some wood, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a ladder, maybe some pitons if they're close to like a, a mountain area. But that's it. I mean, it's it's pretty much nothing. But you, your characters may not have a lot of money, but they do have a nice mirror mm-hmm. or a necklace. And so now the shop keeps like, hmm. Well, I'll trade you mm-hmm. because my daughter needs something for her wedding. So I'll be willing to trade you for that and maybe they're going to lose a little money on it, but they'll get what they need. Yeah. You know, and that's that's where you can start playing with that. But if you go to a high value area where literally the everything's available, it's a very rich town, maybe it's the capital city and they go into a place and they're like, hey, I got this Holy Avenger. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, I got a basket full of them back here. Uh huh. You know, show me something real, you know. You know, oh, it's a big masterful story. You're going into a dungeon, blah, 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 blah. Another thing to keep in mind, too, is that if your players come around flashing a bunch of gold and valuables, Indeed. people are going to take notice. Yep. And I'm not talking about being robbed. I'm just talking about being nickeled and dimed by people. Exactly. You know, who are like, oh, well, you can certainly afford this extra extravagance. And of yep. course, I'm going to need to charge you a convenience fee and a stocking fee. And, and of course, there's the know, king's taxes. That and the we king's have to make taxes, sure. of course. And, yep. uh, you know. You know, it, and, and that's when you can have those fleecy noble characters who yep. are running the town come out and. Acknowledge these heroes, you know, properly, or maybe they're not so proper. If maybe they didn't grease a palm or two, mm-hmm. you know. So now they did. If they don't come to them first, suddenly there's these charlatans in town. These these rich folk who are who are here ruining our area, yep. you know. And suddenly you can't get a room. You 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 might not be able to buy things or sell things. Uh, the last thing I could think of too is uh, never underestimate the um, the power of bartering. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you you can you can trade all sorts of things mm-hmm. other than gold. Um, things have all sorts of different prices. Uh, so, like Rob mentioned earlier, you know, possibly you're doing something like trading for that mirror that you picked up, you know, right. in the last dungeon or something like that, or that ornate goblet. Um, but it might also be something like. Yeah, uh, I could give these to you, but I really have no use for a stack of coins. Like we don't ever make it into town to spend those coins. And again, I can't do anything or with gems. those. Or, or <laughs> gems, yeah. But what I do have is goblins burning my fields and raiding them for uh, for, for, for the resources. Yeah. And that's taking food off my table. So maybe you could go take care of those for me. And and I think that's where some – like because there's legitimate skills for bartering mm-hmm. and for socializing. And some of those things can be a yes and situation where yeah. like maybe you're sitting maybe, – maybe you're working with that, uh, that merchant mm-hmm. and you're really trying to get the last few health potions he has from him. And he's like, I, I really can't sell all of these because there's going to be other people who are going to need some of these. Right. And you guys right. look like you're stalwart and everything and they make their role and it's very successful maybe they make a 20 and you're like i don't want to just hand them these potions mm-hmm. 
But the guy's like, ah, you know, and what happens is is that your player notices his daughter mm-hmm. wanting something from you, notices something hanging off a belt or off of a side and that's your key. You know you can get to that child mm-hmm. and they won't say no to her. So now you have an in yep. and you can do something different, you know, and mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing of like of being able to barter is not just about, hey, give me a better price, but sometimes it's getting to know that person differently, right, right. using a different angle. And that grants a little more access where the person would say, you know, I don't have more of these to give, but. If you come back tonight, I'll I'll try and see if I can whip up two more. You or, know, or even the understand that if you buy these right now, you are going to wipe me out of supplies. So if anybody else comes to me in need, they will be unable to get that uh, you know that that aid. Right. So I will sell these to you under the condition that you also go out and gather me some more materials so I can make more. Right. You know, and it's just up the hill. You know, we have a, we have a brief one day adventure to go. Maybe you know. Uh, gather some things. Maybe there's some environmental hazards. Maybe there's you know, some monsters or whatever up there. You come back with a bundle of herbs. You get your potions, and you've had an adventure. Right. You've told a story. Right. And maybe the daughter has to go because mm-hmm. it's just the two of them. Yep. And he can't go up there and leave her alone here in town. Yep. She's not old enough to run the shop, but she seems to like you, and I might feel okay with going with you guys instead mm-hmm. of just with her by myself. And fighting goblins becomes a whole new adventure when you're trying to ad- when you're trying to defend a twelve year old girl. Correct. Correct. <laughs> well, I hope that helped you, Sam. And we always welcome questions like that. They don't always have to be on topic, um, and, and you know, pertinent to everything. Any new questions are great. I'll be this that open source. I love I love the off the wall, off topic questions. And I I thought I thought this is a great question to think about is the economy because yep. it's it's ever present. You yeah. Know? I mean, hell, it really doesn't depend on, it really matter what what sort of system that you're playing. No. You know, you're playing Shadowrun, whether you're playing, you know, some sort of space-based mm-hmm. system, you know, things like yep. that. You've still got to worry about expenditure of resources to get yep. things that you want. And yep. when you do that, you get an economy. So Exactly. Yep. Now, I did want to do one thing. We don't normally do this, but I think that there's a certain level of community that we have in gaming and that we are exceptionally supportive of said community. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that uh, Technolich had put out that he was going through some tough spots. So I just wanted to say we are here for you as a community and we all have those moments uh, where things get a little struggleful. But, you know, we have our group. Absolutely. They're here. They're they're close. And we can talk about things and we can help we can at least give each other support for that. that's why i appreciate everyone who you know sent who just put your reactions on there for technology and we're thinking of you buddy and we hope that you can step through this and get beyond it and get back to doing the things that you love to do absolutely man we got your back and uh we hope you're rolling 20s again soon and speaking of our community Knox. You have our next session. We yep. are going to do next week's topic uh, on Knox's topic, uh, which is what is session zero? Now, I want to just real quick address why. Uh, once again, uh, as our, our uh, one of our top tier Patreon uh, uh, subscribers, uh, one of the perks of being at our top tier of Patreon uh, uh, subscription is the ability to make a show suggestion once a month. Yep. So uh, Knox has done so and uh, was asking, uh, "What is a session zero? How do we go about doing those? What is the value of them?" So uh, that's that's it. That's what we're talking about next week. We're addressing yep. the whole topic. 
we hope you guys enjoy that and uh, and have good questions for it. So if you've never run one and you've got questions for us, let us know and uh, we'll throw that up. If you have other questions that so you're running something, we can uh, definitely help you with that. Absolutely. And if you want to uh, be able to chuck ideas into the uh, into the into the, 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 the podcast pot, uh, go ahead and go to patreon.com slash storyteller conclave and uh, at our at our top tier level, you will exactly have that privilege as well. Get a shout out during the show and stuff like that as well. Wonderful. So let's roll it. Caitlin. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave. Also on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. On Discord, you can find the link in our Twitter. Uh, we tweet it out pretty often, as well as in any of our episode descriptions on your favorite podcast software. Thank you to our Patreon members like Knox in a Box for coming and helping us every week make this show awesome. Uh, we appreciate all that you give to us. Uh, our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Gee Frog. Uh, you can find that at geefrogmusic.webly.com. Uh, our outro music, which you're hearing now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that on freemusicarchive.org. We record every week at Podcast Detroit. You can find them online at podcastdetroit.com, on Twitter at Podcast Detroit. And a uh, big shout out to our engineer, Caitlin. Yo, yo. Uh, who uh, gave us those beautiful pictures of her dog wearing the uh, the bow tie that we gave her. Yes. He's really proud of it. Oh, He's good. So he should be it. proud of it. He should be proud of it. And we'd like to thank our families. Vicky, Sean, thank you for letting us do this week. And our friends out there who we play games with, with 7C and D&D, and all of our listeners, you, who take care of us every week. With we love you. Things. We love you. Thank you. Get-